0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode four of season two of the Humans of Sydney podcast. Now, we haven't actually recorded this episode yet, but I, I honestly think this is going to be one of the most important episodes we do. Um, and to provide a little bit of context about why we're doing it and why me and Adam have pushed so hard to try and get this episode to come to life is, I honestly believe there's somewhat of a mental health epidemic in our age, gra- in our age demographic. Um, In the last three months alone, or three or four months, I've had two friends take their own life, um, both from the same friendship group in high school. And just seeing the people close to me, the people I grew up with, just absolutely destroyed, um, has been one of the most difficult things to deal with in my life so far. Um, And the thing that really scares me about it is that Although we're moving the right direction, we're having more positive conversations about mental health, it doesn't see I don't see this trend stopping anytime soon. and I've talked to a lot of people about that, and there doesn't seem anything conclusive or something that's going to stop this trend anytime soon. Um, so having this platform, this way to communicate to people in our age demographic, there's th- we had no hesitation that we need to do this, we need to push it. and we need to try both improve the understanding of mental health for everyone on our platform, but also for ourselves. So we can be better there for people around us Mm. and people that we love. So after my dad actually introduced um, us to Yvonne, she looked like the perfect person to talk about this stuff with. We had a conversation with her and I'm just really, really excited to see what happens today. Mm. So I'll get Adam to introduce.
1: Yeah, so as Sachin said, this episode is intensely personal to him because of what's happening in his um, personal friendship group. And so we just want to have a bit more understanding of why this is happening in today's society, um, what's causing it and is there anything we can sort of, any information we can give to other people that might prevent it or help people cope like with these sort of mental illness challenges. So um, Sachin's dad was able to connect us with Yvonne and a bit about her, she is the CEO of an organisation called Inspired to Thrive. Um, which helps out entrepreneurs, especially with their mental health um, and their mindset. And she actually comes from a commerce background. She did yep. commerce here at Sydney Uni, um, worked for Transport New South Wales a bit after, and then went down a bit of a different path where she started doing some counselling, and she opened up Australia's first eating disorder clinic, um, yep. wow. which is, yeah, very, very interesting and amazing achievement, then started to do her work with entrepreneurs. So do you want to just um, open up a bit a bit more about yourself and what your passionate
2: about yeah well first thanks for having me because I think like you guys I think it's really important and having been someone who had mental serious mental health issues from the time I was 14 really to the time I was 27 so um, I'm going to blend in a lot of what I say with that Um, I'm really passionate about speaking about not just mental health but what it takes to get out of it. Because for me, um, whilst it's, I I love the notion of um, normalising the experience, I don't think it's normal to live with mental health long term right mental health issues long term so it's really important that i think people get to understand that there's we want to destigmatize mental health but i don't want to normalize people living with it ongoingly because we can overcome it Mm -hmm. i think that's really important what you guys are talking about where where we how do we support people like what do we do because for a long time um i didn't realize how much it was impacting my life Um, And then I didn't realise the flow-on effect, and we'll we'll talk about that from what we've discussed earlier. But um, I'm passionate about helping people get empowered with the right skills, particularly the skill sets, to come through this and to take away the shame that um often paralyzes us and doesn't make it easy to get the help we need. And then I, I also want to bring to light, you know, that sometimes we try and we finally get to the courage to reach out and the response we get on the receiving end can really have a big impact on whether we continue that journey through getting more help and moving forward, or we go back into the shadows and, and hide what's going on in the background because mm-hmm. I think that's a major thing.
0: Just on that point of response, um, yeah. I just want to quickly touch on my experience in responding to people around me. And upon some reflection in that conversation, I've actually realised that mm. a lot of what I promote and we promote on this podcast is to do with mental well being and not mental health. Yeah. Mm. And I cool. think it's important to make that distinction upfront because I want to apologise to anyone that's come to me in the past <laughs> yeah. and I've told you to meditate, cold shower, all that stuff. Because personally, that's the only stuff I understand yeah. and what works for me. And, I've never really experienced some, a mental health um, disorder or anything along those lines. So I was just yeah. like, look, try this, try this. And I realized that how invalidating that can feel to someone mm. who's experiencing
1: yeah.
0: things um, a lot more severe. And I think I'm definitely going to change my approach. But I also do, I still be big believer in those things. But I think it's a way of... Um, kind of package them up in the sense that they're not going to cure your mental health. These are just things that can may help along the way kind of things. And yeah. I think it's just showing them from a different perspective. But yeah. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And I think knowing that all those things are tools, but um, like you said, when you can invalidate someone's experience and that, yeah. that just sort of gets people sort of Retract like a snail and go back mm. into their their sort of ball of shame mm. and go oh shit I can't meditate or I can't I can't do those things yeah. so now what I'm I'm broken and not able to be fixed yeah. and yeah. and so because I talk about there's a there's a whole thing in in our society around be positive you know and the reality with that is you yes be positive however you need to be real above being
1: positive yeah. Mm, that's really interesting. So you it know, seems like a big part of thi- this is having respect for people with yeah. mental health and so not just thrusting sort of, sort of symbols on them, like just be positive because yeah, like you're invalidating who they yeah. are and their
2: experience. Yeah, the second mm. that you say something like be positive to them, it invalidates their experience and they feel less than. Yeah, Ooh, right? and
0: this contrasts a lot to the last kind of psychologist we had on this podcast who talked a lot about positive psychology. So I think this is really interesting.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, and, and there's absolutely something about being able to get to positivity. However, having lived in the grips of, you know, I, I had two years where I was quite suicidal. And, and I said to you guys that um, those two years that I was the worst in my mental illness, Um, and there was mental illnesses, not just one, um, were the worst, the darkest, but the flip side were, and I said this to you, I was the best all-rounder in school. Mm. You know, I got one of the top marks in my school. I was able to come to uni, I was functioning, I was an elite athlete, all of these things. So what was presenting was very different to the distress I was feeling, like behind the scenes was like catastrophic, Mm. not being able to sleep, you know, like my head was just racy. In that instance, to be positive is almost, you know, mind-blowing to even try and consider because what you're trying to do is get through a day Mm -hmm. and that is miles away from being positive, (laughs) you know. So I think there's a time and place for be positive. Um, However, what we're talking about is, and, you know, like being able to get through days sometimes is what we're dealing with, what some people are dealing with, let alone, I can't be positive right now, I don't want to be around anyone. Yeah, you know, so there's a time and a place. So, yeah, that's
1: yeah. my thought. That's really that. interesting yeah. about how you're such an all rounder and you're achieving a lot, but still your sort of inner life was very dark and you had a lot of issues. Yeah, um, because that's quite a real thing. My my captain of school, on I was in year seven and he was the year twelve captain and he mm-hmm. got to do a speech at the end of the year and. He was like academic, uh, sports, yep. did a lot of charity stuff. Mm-hmm. And he actually gave a speech about mental health and about how he's be, um, dealing with depression. Yeah. And that was the first time he sort of came out as that. And I think he felt somewhat ashamed to speak, but nobody would have really thought it. Um, and yeah. it's also, so that was at by school in Newington, but I also believe the Newington, ca- uh, the Riverview captain, also came out yeah, and talked about, about this. That. And he did yeah. a YouTube video. Yep. So it's really interesting how people can sort of live behind all these achievements mm. and then have an inner life. That's very different from the public and the other. So outer many
0: life. of my friends that have yeah. come out to me, have been some of the highest achievers I know.
2: Yeah, and look, mm. it's the, the, a lot of the skills that um, <laughs> that get you to be high achieving, you know, like the fact that you can sometimes compartmentalise things and that you're really good at this and really good mm. at this, But and, very, and you seem very personable. Like, you know, I was a student rep, I was captain yeah. in primary school, mm. I was always part of like charity work for school. Yeah. So I was very, very much a high profile person at mm. school. Um, however, those same things can, in the background, make it hard to reach out. You can still not know how to be vulnerable. You can still not know how to connect to your feelings. You can still, like, all the things that can lead to mental distress, yeah. you can still experience them despite the fact that you're a high performer. Yeah. And I think we see that a lot, particularly with sports people, that the second you take away the sport, you know, mm. um, a couple of weeks ago I was with Glenn Lazarus, and the second you take away the sport, yeah. Yeah, Greg Inglis,
0: I think, as well. Um,
2: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think it's a big misconception. I find it a lot in entrepreneurship where it's like those people who are hitting goals, who are succeeding, who are growth phases outside. Every single person I speak with, they're like, everybody thinks I'm crushing it, I'm doing well and all of that. But on the inside, man, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not coping.
1: There was actually, um, I was just researching an NRL player. He, there was a picture of him found. He was on a plane and he was apparently on drugs and he's been having like a really tough time mm. since retirement. Mm. I can't remember. I sent you the article. But yeah, he, he had a really, really amazing career. And then yep. after he left the field, yep. that sort of meaning that he got from life, it just wasn't being replaced by anything else. Yep. So that sort of led to a lot of drugs and mental health issues. Yep. Um, but something I'd really like to preface this talk with He's talking about, is mental health right now in today's age, is it worse than it's been in maybe previous decades or previous lives? And that might be hard, hard to mm. answer, but seems like it's been talked about a lot more yep. on podcasts, on the news yep. and just in general society. Yes. So is it more so it's been talked about more or are people's mm. mental health statistically actually worse mm. these days, mm. maybe because of things like technology?
2: Well, I think it's, it's not just uh, is it this or is it that. I think it's both. I think the fact that we are talking about it a lot more, so there's things that would usually be kept for um, behind the scenes and in the shadows of of life, and now there's more permission to speak up. And I think there's some great, great work being done around let's bring it to the forefront, let's talk about it. there's that, but we, we also need to know how do we help those people <laughs> really effectively. Mm. Um, and I also think things like um, technology, yes, the, the rapid changes that are happening, are doing a lot for our brain. I mean, we don't even know a lot of the impacts that, you know, there's studies coming out now and I've got a five-year-old. So I pay attention to what they talk about with the impact of screen time. And I see it myself. If he has a little bit of screen time versus no screen time, his capacity to regulate himself to be calmer are way different and then we -hmm. we think as adults that we've got it sorted, but if we're using because I think of um and and I've got this with a lot of clients where they actually use screen time as a a numbing device so we've talked about self-medication I I see that a lot of times um you know devices create another form of numbing out because to me for you guys do you ever get caught like oh, when i'm hungover up?
0: i cannot get off my right. phone like yeah. i cannot stop scrolling yeah and, and so <laughs>
2: so the thing with that is is that when we don't have the capacity to set really healthy boundaries we don't sort of go okay enough's enough i actually need sleep above numbing out on youtube yeah right and then the, that's the, the and it's thing. the same
0: kind of reward system right the same as something like cocaine it's the same kind of um, yeah. dopamine and reward system you end up
2: binging on rather than binging just on alcohol or drugs mm. you end up binging on devices, and mm. all of that, if you think at the crux of it, is not being able to regulate yourself, but also you're not connecting
1: with other people. Yeah, yeah. so do you think screens are basic, screens and technology that's making numbing out more accessible to people? Because instead of maybe having to do mm. other things like alcohol or drugs, maybe mm. a bit more extreme examples, mm. we mm. can pull out our phone, and we can sort of just get immersed in different worlds on YouTube mm. or games. And
0: But it, e- even like in the social anxiety sense, right? Mm. Before, if you were, let's say, you had something like social anxiety, yeah. And you're at a bus and you didn't yep. want to talk to anyone or you had like a like like a dinner or you don't want to talk Ooh. to anyone you just have to be quiet sit and there. sit there right but now you can get out your phone it's so yep. socially yep. accepted to and do so that
2: you don't actually have to sit with yeah. your discomfort yeah so it's really imp- what you're talking about is really important and and the other thing is life is busier right so the, the family unit looks different now. We look It all looks different. And it's, I mean, there's times I've done it where you sort of go, can you just watch the iPad a second? I've got to do this one thing. And you go over. And, and it's really about having boundaries around it. Sure. Having boundaries around how and when you use it and not making mm. that the top priority and noticing when, hey, we actually really need to connect rather than... I'm just going to numb out on this device because it's not technology per se it's the rate at which it's changing it's the lack of ability for us to really um be vulnerable to reach out to do relationships because for me mental health stuff comes from any distress around it comes from the inability to stay connected to yourself so how you relate to yourself and then how you relate to other people and so devices make it easier to not have to deal with that shit yeah, mm, you know what I mean. You don't have to go. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm socially awkward. You just go. It's cool to be a gamer now. Like yeah. you know, and just be in this world that doesn't really yeah. exist, but it exists. Mm. You know, so it's really trippy because those and that's where you now see people talking about um, you know gaming addictions and so and technology addictions, and it's like it's just another form. It's just one more thing. It's like gambling. It's all about lack of knowing when to stop. Yeah. Having, not having boundaries, a lack of connection with humans. So yeah. people, we're di- we're, we're, and Brene Brown, we, we were talking about the, yeah. my love for her. It's like, I watched that video hard- you sent me. It was yeah, amazing. Hardwired to actually connect to other people. And we also don't know how to say, I don't really know how to do connection. So if you're having a stressful day, I don't know what to do with you. Yeah. And so it's easier to just go, I'm busy, scroll, 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 than mm. it is to go, I don't know what to do with feelings. Yeah. So the different, you know, because I remember when I was in, um, in therapy and I remember the second it dropped in, in my head that the therapist was asking me about my feelings. And I thought, she thinks because I'm articulate, high achiever, really capable of stringing together sentences. I was able to talk about global things and all of that. But when it came to my experience internally and my feelings, I had no idea. I could not identify, I feel angry or I feel, because I was so busy trying to just be a high achiever that I didn't know how to actually say, I feel really angry or I feel really hurt or I feel happy or I feel anything. It was just, I was numb. Yeah. And so when that penny dropped and then I see that experience a lot with clients where it's like they will tell me an experience. So if I say, how did that feel to someone? They'll often go, well, I feel like he's not listening. And it's like, well, he's not listening is not a feeling. Mm. That's the experience. So if you're having the experience that someone's not listening to you, how does that feel? And they go, well, that they don't care about me. Story. It's story again. So it's Mm. interpretation, right? Yeah. So what you've got to do is drop beneath that. So if you have the experience that someone doesn't care about you, how does that feel? And that's when they sort of sit back and go, I feel really angry and I feel hurt. Yeah. Mm. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, so you've got to go down a couple of layers beneath the story you tell yourself or beneath the interpretation to get to the feeling. Yeah, because
1: we all create these sort of narratives about what's happening to us beneath those are layers of feelings that really... Hit us
0: hard. that's yeah. something really p- practical in terms of are you okay right because i think we live in a time <laughs> yeah. i think sometimes we're a bit too um negative about the changes that occurred recently like i actually had a boss at work talking to me about his mental health difficulties he was facing and yeah. that 10 years ago that kind of thing would be unheard of yeah absolutely. Um, so we are in a time where people are having more open conversations I love it. but yep. the the thing is it's still not saving lives and so <laughs> yeah. um or maybe yeah. it has but it's still, there's still a big Mm. problem. And Mm. so that was something really practical. We're going to bold that. Yeah. Um, Yeah, But before we, before we keep going into more practical stuff, I just want to hear a bit about what what made you sit in this chair today? What makes you here talking about Mm. mental health and a bit more about your story?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, I have a passion because I've been an entrepreneur now for the last 10 years, um, and also a psychotherapist that I see a big issue for a lot of entrepreneurs but I I identify high achievers same as I was in high school but we're playing in the business world now that's the only difference Mm. um but the second that I connected with you guys I mean a it hits straight into my heartstrings because I was that person who was you know school ambassador and all of those things how did Um, you kind of
0: overcome your mm. you mentioned this depression (laughs) earlier yeah um it'd be cool to dive into your personal experience before we start um
2: yeah for sure um So it took, so I said my journey with mental sort of health stuff, and it was a blend of depression, anxiety, um, eating disorders. So it was a a sort of mix of things. Um, Started when I was 14. And at that point, I was in uh, what was known as an elite athlete squad. Um, And that was a trigger for me, right? Um, There was a situation that happened that triggered the mental health stuff to to take off. It got worse in, um, for me, in year 10, 11. 11 was the pinnacle of it for me, um, where I was very distressed, but I started noticing my thoughts were getting very, very extreme. Um, And what I mean by that was I started to think, how can I get out of this world? How can I, I, I really want it to end. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be around these people. No one knew this because I was always popular. I was always around people. I was always, you know, like I said, school ambassador for a lot of things. Um, And so it was really a matter of me um, going, I've got to reach out to someone. And the only person I felt okay with was a school counsellor who was brand new to the school. So I thought she has no idea about me. Mm -hmm. So it actually felt safe because she didn't know all the things that everybody knew. Mm. Um, So I reached out to her. And um, and so for the next two years, pretty much she was the most important person in my life. Um, but that wasn't. And I got onto medication and we'll talk a bit more about that later. I got onto medication, um, but that wasn't really the end of it. I got functional enough. So I, I still got through the, my high school, got to uni, did all of that. I then travelled a lot. And all through the time, I was still anxious. The eating disorders had sort of subsided a little, quite quite significantly. What, what does
0: that anxiety feel like?
2: Um, I think it feels different for everyone and predominantly um, I was more identified as a depressive person, you know, because depression was part of like my family makeup and stuff. But anxiety was like my mind never shut off. You know, the only time my mind shut off, which we said we'd talk about is, you know, when I I would drink, I would I was a party. I was like on podiums and up dancing and Mm. I was like, so you could it didn't look like anything That people could identify because on the outside I was travelling, I was earning good money, I was like no one had any idea that I I struggled a lot with feelings, I struggled a lot with relationships, I I was social and I I was great as a friend but very rarely did people know what was going on for me. Um, And so that's what made the anxiety worse, struggling with sleep and, you know, like rapid thoughts, really crazy thoughts. Um, At that point, I was also having seven to eight coffees, which I don't (laughs) which was part of what kept it all going. Um, And I ended up having a bit of an exercise addiction, trying to manage all of the anxiety. Right. So there's it. I think anxiety looks different for a lot of people yep. um, and so you can't just go it's a blanket sweeping thing because, because it looks different. Um, people who do a lot of um, sports and running can often be that's their way to manage their anxiety. So um, I really didn't get free of all my mental health stuff until I was about 20, so 27, 28 it started to change and then when I started started to study because uh, I was in therapy at that point, I started to study, I realised that, oh my goodness, I've been asking my therapist, so I've been asking my psychologist, I've been seeing one of um, Sydney's top eating disorder clinicians, um, is this as good as it gets? Because I, I it, yeah, I've stopped all the behaviours, so I've stopped all the stuff. Um, you know, I wasn't binge drinking, I wasn't binge eating, I wasn't doing all those things, but I felt. I still felt something inside wasn't okay. Um, and she just went, Yep, yeah, you've just got to keep doing your meditation, keep doing mindfulness, keep doing those things, and that's it. And I thought, this is, this is crap. If this is the rest of my life, then I'm not really happy. Um, until I went to study. And, um, and I did one, my very first... Trimester at college and it blew apart my world because I started learning about the unconscious and we started talking about Jung, um, but started doing all the unconscious like what are the where did this start where like why why did this even become a thing for me to have an issue with mental health? It wasn't until then and all the pennies dropped really quickly and then I haven't battled with my mental health
0: wow. at mm. all
2: and that that's been a big thing. It's a been a big reason I'm starting the work I'm doing with mm. entrepreneurs because. Um, I don't have downward spirals. So, you know, like the downward spiral, like you start a thought and it could be, I'm such a loser that this, Mm. you know, and it could be one little thing. And I remember the spiral until I felt like absolute crap about myself. And by then, all the bad behaviour was just reconfirming all the horrible things I said about Mm. myself to myself.
0: If you're comfortable, sorry, if you're comfortable in sharing what that specific thing was that you looked at to that was causing this mental health?
2: Mm. Well, it was, I'm going to say, I don't ever think there's one thing. I think there's, I always call it like a perfect storm. And the perfect storm consists of things like, um, I had very rigid boundaries around trust. Okay. Right, so it's like trust no one, trust no one, trust no one. Um, and other people are the opposite, that they say everything to everybody. Um, so learning healthy boundaries with drinking as well, with, our, with ourselves, with everything. So boundaries, um, being able to identify, identify my feelings, Feelings were not something we spoke of in my family and it's not uncommon. It's very very normal to be a loving family who does not speak about feelings and does intimacy in different ways. And I think that they were big things that I I had a very... um, I I didn't know how to articulate what was going on for me. I didn't know how to regulate myself. And and that means not just thinking about but being able to tolerate when things feel like shit Mm. and not needing everything to feel positive. Yeah, You know, that li- being able to tolerate the ups and downs without my mind circling into the absolute terrors of the world.
0: And so that was uncovering the things that were driving this yeah. in your past.
2: So you got to, I mean, and it's and if I spoke with you and I spoke to you, we'd delve a bit deeper and they look different for each person. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot yeah. of people think, and a lot of people think it's only when you've had a trauma. Like, so people are like, well, and I remember my first essay, in college and I said, well, I haven't had a trauma because uh, quite frankly, I, my parents are still together. I've not been abused. I've not been, you know, like there was no major things. I came from what looked like, you know, very loving family. Um, and and then the, the educator's like, do you, you've had an eating disorder, you've had mental health issues. So you might wanna, in this essay, write about that. And I was like, okay, so as I delved into, like my research and thousands of papers and you know, reading about, oh my God, like early disruption to how we do relationships and something called attachment. I don't know if you've heard of attachment theory, but um, those early things of, oh, how I learned to relate to other people mm. has an impact on this. So one of my things, right, an mm. is um, learning that I was someone who had to do it on my own. So I was great as a friend, but I was like, I've got to do this on my own and I didn't know how to ask for help. Yeah. did not yeah. know how to be vulnerable and say, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. I, would, I would find my way and I was really smart. I was like, you know, like I ended up doing, you know, you, you're talking about those high achievers who are very intelligent, mm. but in terms of my emotional landscape, it was almost like vacant, yeah. completely blank. Yeah. Um, and that had to change. Yeah. That was a big
1: change. So it seems like you had a big sort of ego attachment when you were younger in uh, the sense that you were a high achiever, you were doing really well. You had these other problems in your inner life on the side but you was it you almost didn't want to become aware of it and seek help because you didn't feel like it corresponded to who you were as a person you were like i'm a high achiever i've got problems no i, I can't have problems is um, that partly why i
2: think at, at first i think absolutely it didn't mm. make sense and i and yeah. i had a lot of i should be able to do
1: this yeah. i should
2: be able if it's to with nail story, this story yeah. like
1: i'm a high achiever i yeah. should be able to
2: yeah mm. and um so of course early on absolutely and then it, as I did get help, what I started to realise was that a lot of the practitioners that I was going to were very, um, what's known as cognitive, like so they focus on skill sets. And um, that
0: is that like CBT and yeah, stuff? So, uh, Behavioural yeah, so cognitive behavioral therapy yeah.
2: Um, and those and those things are useful, but they don't get to so if you're a high achiever and you're talking to a high achiever, so that's what I do with my when I'm running, you know, entrepreneurship and, and other and other people, you're talking to people who are clever, very yeah. clever, right? And so if there's a skill they need to learn, they've pretty much tried it. Like you've talked about, you know, going yeah. and doing ice baths and going and doing meditation, <laughs> going so you you're good to learn. But I always tell people think about when you are actually uh, high achiever and very intellectual, so very cognitive, mm-hmm. you actually have to help that person drop out of their head and into their heart, mm-hmm. right? So if you keep talking at a logical level, they're going to try and out- outsmart because they are high achievers. Yeah, yeah I know right? a lot of people like that. Right? So, um, I mean, and I honestly, whenever I'm sitting with someone, the first sessions are usually like they're checking me out in terms of does this woman know how to like... Is she good enough? Like, because I've got stuff to throw at her. Mm. And you have to be able to go, and this is the unconscious dynamic that's creating this for you. Sure. Versus, here's a logical response. Have you tried this? Have you tried this? So all that unconscious
1: stuff, you can't relate to that just in a logical, rational way. Like, that's your personal, emotional stuff. Yeah. That's a different way of thinking, right? Yeah, Yeah.
2: absolutely. And that's where, you know, like, where you talked about...
0: (laughs) No, I just, sorry, just a very side note, but um, when we were living together, Adam was doing this thing, trying to get into his unconsciousness where he'd try to fall asleep or something, drop oh, a spoon so, so that he could is, wake up and hear his dream. On a tangent, this was I actually
1: read about this. I don't it was um one of Jung's researchers did this. This is very different to what we're talking about. But you basically side fall side. asleep and you're holding a spoon mm-hmm. and like you're laying down and your hands on the edge of the bed and you put um and so you're you falling asleep and then whenever you're about to fall asleep your hand will like open, the okay. spoon will drop and you'll wake nice. and then you pick it back up and you keep on doing this. And you eventually get into a state where when you wake up, you're actually asleep on the inside, but you're awake and you can sort of like access your unconscious on like yes. different levels. Different levels. And it's like, it's a very interesting experience. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. We do I, a I lot just, of weird stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just got into like this big fascination with like Jung, like how do we access like the sort of deeper recesses of our mind? Yes. I found it very interesting. So yeah. Funny side note there. Funny side <laughs> note. Yeah, well, I mean,
2: that's a great, it's a great question because I think, Um, One of the things I'm constantly encouraging, particularly my my high achievers and you you guys, you know, included is um, you've got to step beyond um, intellect. You have to get beyond cognitive intelligence Mm. in order to deal with mental well-being. You cannot always go, you can't think your way out of distress. And people look at me and they're like, they've got to think about it. Because I'm like, Mm. you can't to get a quiet mind. You actually can't do it by thinking. Mm.
0: Yeah.
2: Correct. Like (laughs) You can't do it. But a lot of people then go, well, I should meditate. But the thing is, and I wrote an article, which you you read about this, that meditation and mindfulness is almost impossible when you are someone who is depressed and and struggling with anxiety because your mind is so racing. I relate
1: to that so much because when I've been through bad phases myself and I've been at home, I'm sitting down, Mm -hmm. I might be doing university work and I get distracted. And I literally like try and think myself out of a bad situation, like creating these logical paths, like I shouldn't be thinking this way. Like, why am I thinking this way? And I might write it down and just just, like, it creates this sort of spiral. But then if I get outside into the sun and start walking, like, it changes, like, my sort of way of being. So, yeah. So
2: get out of your head, get into your body. Mm. The problem with that for some people is that um, our body stores a lot of memory. And that can be painful. And that's why they don't want to do it. That's why it's more attractive and appealing to be in your head, right? We're thinking because you don't want to get into, so if you're talking about someone who has, has been abused and has trauma stored in their body, they don't want to be still with their body because then they're going to be reminded of all those things. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, right. we saw that yeah. That's yeah really so that's that's why people like where you just especially go for the, an eating disorder or something like that. Yeah, right? absolutely. And that's where you know I always say if CrossFit was around when I had my eating disorder, I would have been Australia's champion because <laughs> you know like it was it, well because it, what it does is creates you just pushing beyond all barriers. And one of the things with mental health is is that if you want to, you that's about high performance stuff. Like being a CrossFit is a high performance thing but being mentally well is not necessarily about that. And to be in your body but be able to listen to it. So that's not just sitting and being in your body but listen to it. Listen to the feelings that pop up because it's information. right? And most of us are trained to try and avoid that and be positive (laughs) you know like it's that thing of being sort of a high vibe because people like you know I want to be around people that are positive and and that make that's one of the things in our society I think it makes it really hard like that when people do want to reach out for mental health um issues and and they want to talk to a buddy and you said I think I've done this in the past where I've like been like hi like you know it's like just go to try this thing cuz what you're trying to do is help the person
0: it's it's really in my personality as well like I love moving forward and stuff I'm not someone that like yeah. kind of like I just love pushing people forward and I I, I just like yeah I'm yep. i I just realized how invalidating it can be to a lot of people.
2: It's also what's beneath that is an assumption that if you actually process feelings and you are listening to a person that you're not going to move them forward. And in actual fact, you propel people forward more by validating, acknowledging them. Yeah. And they feel heard and seen, and then they don't need to run off and deal with their own anxiety and you know, frustration that someone yeah. else is trying to get them to be a certain place. Interesting. Right? So it's just, they're little tweaks that you, because you're not far off, like where you're just like, because my sense is you very much care about your friends and you very much care about people. So you want to actually be able, and, and Brene Brown talks about this, you know, empathy is more about, and it's not sympathizing you yep. know it's about being able to hear and just acknowledge that person so because at the base of everything for all of us we want to be seen and heard and validated yeah. um, right and um and if you're getting the experience of turning up and, and this is where i i had the experience with past therapists where it's like wanting me to be at a certain place because it would give them the feeling that they had accomplished their job yeah. Yeah. versus actually was how i was genuinely Ooh. feeling yeah. <laughs> They're very different Ooh. dynamics
0: all right so. so that was that was amazing <laughs> <laughs> I learned so that that was crazy. All right, but I want to tie this back into something more practical for everyone, right? So, yeah. it seems like we've talked about a bit about the causes of mental health, and it seems like it's an intersection between your genetics, mm. your your environment growing up and some of that's imprinted into your unconsciousness and potentially your current habits and ways of thinking. Would mm. that be correct?
2: Yeah, so I I'd, I'd probably say less genetic because yep. our genes are only ever triggered by the environment, so it's more environmental, okay. and how we're taught to relate. For me, it's how people are taught to relate to themselves and to others. Okay, that's right. right. So at the base, it's like how am I taught? Like one of my my mum, I adore her. Um, one of her things is she shows love via food,
0: mm. right? Mm.
2: And every emotion that is uncomfortable she tries to Mm. soothe with food. Do you have an
1: Italian heritage, by the way? Greek, Greek, okay, that's why. Um,
2: And I've seen that with my my son, you know, where he falls over and he's crying and my mum will say, here, have a Kit Kat because mm. right? she mm. can't tolerate oh my god he's hurt is he okay is he like all the anxiety that comes up in yeah. her whereas he'll say i don't need because because of, cause of <laughs> my training and my experience He'll say i don't need food i need a hug you know mm. like so he knows that actually i need to be soothed yeah. <laughs> um i don't need yeah. food for this so how we learn to soothe ourselves is a big one and we learn that stuff very early on and then as we're adults Right? Um, it looks like adult behaviour. Like, it's normal to go out and have a few drinks with your buddies, right? Like, yep. I'm notorious for yeah. that. When I was younger, it's like, yeah, it is. But when we don't know when to stop, when we don't know when it's bad for us, when then it leads into risky behaviours. Like, yep. I don't know about you, but have you ever been drunk and then done something really risky and thought, shit, that was a bit... I don't, I don't know why I did that. Mm-hmm. I never would have done that any other time. Um, that stuff is about not knowing when to switch
0: off. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... so yeah. Um that kind of i think that's a natural tangent to self-medicating yes. um and <laughs> self-medicating. if i want to um i want to speak to this a little bit before we start because since um my friend passed away mm. i noticed a lot of people in my circle have been self-medicating yeah. and i think more broadly in the university spectrum me mm. and adam both know a lot of people that i, I don't want to call it self-medicating they just do a lot of drugs and yeah. drink a lot and sometimes it's on a daily basis yeah. and uh, first, I want to yeah. hear your perspective on this, but I just want to say that if you have a yeah. friend like this, what can be done? Yeah,
2: yeah. so I think it's, um, and we touched on it a little bit before uh, with technology, that's yeah. easy to numb out. And it's really, it, when I link it back to what I said just a couple of minutes ago, it's that we've learned to relate to ourselves in a way that's about avoiding how we actually feel. And a really cool way to do that is by drinking, is by taking drugs, because it takes us out of our distress Yeah. Right. So Mm. if I don't know how to actually connect with, like, really connect with someone, because you can be around, have you ever had the experience of, you can be around your buddies, but you can have something going on and they have no idea that it's going on. And you're, in that sense, there's a disconnect between you and them. You're in their space, which might feel nice, but you're still dealing with stuff on your own. Mm. Right, so that's learning to relate to other people by keeping your distress away because people don't want to be around negative Nancy's, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, So we learn and use different ways of numbing out. Like I said, that can also be something that's very healthy, like exercise. You can binge on exercise. You can binge, I've seen people binge on yoga. It's anything where it's like, I don't want to have to sit with myself
1: and deal with what's going can on. can that inside be negative? So if you're using yeah. exercise, you're in a negative state, yeah. you use exercise to fix it, can can that ever be negative? Cause Absolutely. You're almost It has a positive effect on your body and on your mind, but you're still running away from the problem. I think this Christian. whole
0: bodybuilding experience that I went through, yeah. Um. so for context, I did yeah, bodybuilding can. competition and Most of the people that um, you meet or know in the spectrum, my coach actually told me to this. He said most people I meet or train, they're running away from something. And when it does become negative, from my observation, is um, with the body disorder, the relationship with food and stuff. And it's like, I think objectively, it's more healthy medicated with exercise than drinking every night yeah so um, it's,
1: like it's a healthy way out but there's still problems that you haven't dealt with
0: if, if, if you're at the start. If, yeah. Yeah. if you're trying to like get out of it kind of thing yeah. of course yeah. exercising every day is not an unhealthy thing inherently but it, I think what everyone is trying to say is mm. if you're doing it to get out of these thinking patterns yeah. or not f- like have to feel something
2: yeah absolutely mm. and that's like it is. I mean, what your coach said around it's people running away, and often we want to run away from anything that doesn't feel okay. Yeah. You know, because when we're young, what we equate to is if I don't feel good, then I'm not good. Yeah. We make sense of it like that, and that's where having a really heath- healthy sense of yourself is important yeah. for good mental well-being, but then being able to sit with, you know, feelings that are uncomfortable. Um, are are another thing. It's like, so numbing out, like I, I always say this to clients I'm working with is, work out what your version of numbing out is what your version of avoiding is and for some people it's like i can't switch off i'm listening to a podcast i'm going for a walk i'm going doing exercise i'm this i'm this i'm this And i'm like whoa um when are you actually calming down and they're like oh well, no can't do that i've got mm. things to do and i've got
1: you know i've got a big mission i'm, I'm so like, many mm. type a person yeah, big type a, yeah. A, big what time. what do you mean by calming, da- calming down is that just like yeah. not doing yeah. anything is that thinking is it a meditative sort of state? What do you mean?
2: Yeah, it's a really, really good question. Yeah. Um, because I always get my clients thinking, um, think in terms of, because meditation can heighten your anxiety if your nervous system's not calm. Well,
0: mm. right? Is that when you're just kind of sitting there and then you get encapsulated in your thoughts hmm. and then that kind of leads to other thinking patterns when you're actually not... Yeah, in your body or yeah, absolutely. so
2: relaxing can be almost impossible for some people because they're like how do I do that and I can't relax because their mind is because there's a baseline anxiety that's never been dealt with so I always get people it's like well, well let's deal with that let's start building on that and one of the practical things which I, I like give people is I want you to actually just focus on five minutes of breathing which is solely about slowing down your nervous system and people look at me and they're like what is that so rather meditation right? So rather than meditation mm-hmm. and sitting and doing a whatever type you like, um, but to actually calm your nervous system. The best example I can give for you around that is, imagine you've got a crying baby, right? So if you've got siblings, little babies around you, or friends who have babies, um, it's like having a crying baby. And what you choose to do is to try and positive talk it out of crying, right? Right? It's like, if you go, come on, you don't need to cry. What's wrong? What's going on with you? Yeah. Versus pick the baby up. Go do an ice bath. Yeah, yeah. Go, go to an ice <laughs> bath. Right. But, but it's like what you do is you actually what, want to use your own nervous system to calm that baby mm. down. right? So if I'm calm, the baby calms down. If I'm anxious, the baby usually amps up the crying. Yeah. Right?
1: So it's about being empathic, like feeling what they feel.
2: Yep, Uh, but also reassuring by
0: my nervous system. Is that your parasympathetic nervous system? Yeah,
2: so what you do is you, you calm yourself down and the baby calms down. As adults, what we tend to do is want to, like, think more, find the best strategy. What's the, you know, what's the hack? And I was talking to another therapist. She goes, I don't think you should hack anything when it comes to your body. And I said, I don't think you should do it when it comes to your mind. Yeah. You want to learn skills. That's, and that's absolutely, I love, you know, when you can find a shortcut, you want to learn a shortcut. So yeah. I'm not saying yeah. take the long route around, but you want to actually deal with the root cause. So then the hack gets to stick, right? Yeah. If you haven't dealt with a baseline anxiety, it doesn't matter what hack you've got, you're always going to be doing band aid solution, on band aid solution. Does yeah. all
0: anxiety and depression have a root cause?
2: <laughs> There's usually, and, and it's not one cause, like, you know, it's like yeah. what I said before, it's like I can. So it's, much, so it's not
0: always something in your childhood or something like that? Or...
2: Um, it can be triggered by, like, my triggers were in teen, teenhood. But, yeah. you know, like, the I had been set up environmentally to, to then, for the trigger to go off. Yeah. Right? But that doesn't mean that depression can't happen in, you know, it happens in adulthood or wherever it is. But a lot of the inability to regulate ourselves or shame around reaching out for help or how to deal with our feelings... Stems from very early ways of learning to cope. And our, yeah. our biggest examples of that, and that, you know, people go, oh, we've only you like bashing parents. It's like, no. We just, we do what our parents, what we see, we do what we learn, you know, and that's what our biggest environment that impacts us is, is our home. So, can yeah. I ask a
0: clarifying question yeah. with that? Are you saying that if there's a baseline person mm-hmm. that doesn't deal with anything, they experience something sad or something that may maybe make them think, is it just that someone with a mental health issue doesn't have as good a way of dealing with that and then that takes them into a spiral? Or is it a baseline that they just feel worse? If that makes sense. So
2: say again. So I want to understand You
0: you mentioned that... about these ways of dealing with certain things, yep. right? So is is something, is having a mental health issue not being able to deal with your emotions in a proper way and then they spiral and then turn to depression and anxiety? Yep. So in that sense, does a mental, someone with a mental health disorder experience the same emotions and stuff as everyone else but just interprets them differently?
2: Um, I don't know if they experience it like everyone else. I think we have our own ways of doing that, right? But I think that in the thousands of clinical hours I've done and the, the people I've worked with, what I'd say to you is how the person's skill set and because I think mental health, other than a couple of mental illnesses, right, yeah. that are very much need ongoing, consistent medication for lifelong um, to stabilise chemistry. Yeah. Um, I think that most And I've worked in the eating disorder space and if you talk to any clinician, they are the hardest because they're the most fatal of mental illnesses. Most people die... Eating disorders? Wow. More than any other um, people die from eating disorders more than any other mental illness. So it's a pretty tough space to be in. But what I will say to you is to overcome it, um, everything is skill set and empathy is at the core of it. Self-compassion, boundaries, learning how to have, you know, really healthy boundaries. Um, But letting go of things like how people perceive us. You know, when we can get more, I'm, I always go, I'm more interested in I f- how I feel rather than how you perceive me. Mm. Because the more I can focus on that, if I'm like, this is really distressing for me and someone else goes, well, that shouldn't be distressing because of this. Yeah. Well, that's their interpretation and I've got to go off my experience. Yeah. So too often, we're trying to live off a benchmark that's set by standards that you know, you're not part of. And yeah. it's about mm-hmm. how do you feel walking through your day? Right. So if you, I mean, one of the biggest, and this is like a, a, a topic that, that has, I love talking about anger because I think anger is one of the most repressed emotions and the one that leads most to depression. Yeah. Right. Wow. Because, um, and I always go, think of when you're really angry, if you don't do anything with that anger, right, and what by doing something with it, I don't mean, you know, going out and uh, having a fight because that's an unhealthy way of dealing with your anger, mm. yeah. right? But if you don't do something with it, you're gonna drink to deal with it. Yeah. You're gonna do something to numb out sure. from it, right? So when we don't know what to do with intense feelings, we yeah. find these other vices. Is that an unconscious thing? Absolutely. Okay, so, Absolutely. That, so then how
0: can someone know whether they're drinking, yeah. smoking, yeah. doing lines to yeah. deal with to deal with something yeah. or is it just, I'm partying, yeah. I'm having fun, yeah. I'm enjoying my youth?
2: Well. Well, it takes a bit of self-reflection. And I yeah. think you guys, you guys are doing that here with that. It, it takes self-reflection. But most of what I do with, with clients, because I've had a lot of people in their early 20s as well, is get them to work backwards, right? Because... Rather than go, I just had a bender. Like, look at okay, if you've had a bender, whether it's on food, whether it's on drinking, whether it's on social, like, have you spent time on social and then go? Well, <laughs> so that's and the majority of people. Majority right? of people, right? <laughs> is like to look back and go, what's happened? You actually have to build, and it's a muscle. Just yeah. so you know, it's a muscle to self-reflect. It's a muscle to go. I ended up drinking, and then if you can work backwards. You will always work out that there was, oh my God, that person said something to me and it bothered me, but I didn't say anything. Mm. It wasn't a big enough deal. The next thing happens, you turn up to a lecture, you get misunderstood, another bit of anger.
0: Mm. Didn't
2: say anything, wasn't a big enough deal. So we collect all these experiences through the day, which aren't a big enough deal. But then at the end of the day, we're numbing out on something, Yeah. right? And so what I always go is all the little things that you think aren't big enough deals, even by acknowledging and going that person really pissed me off or really hurt my feelings when that helps to think of, you know, like a pressure cooker. It's like de- like taking the pressure away because otherwise what you're doing is needing you need something to help you feel better. Ground zero. Like I need mm. to get back to my ground zero. If it's a run, it could be drinking. Yeah. You know, some people like, you know, I spoke to someone the other day. It's like, yep, bottle of alcohol a day. Yeah. To feel just okay.
1: Yeah so i'm very interested um in how a lot of these problems go back down to these deep layers of um habits that we've taken on from parents that whole sort of subconscious stuff and that manifests itself in manifests itself in different ways like drinking and smoking and whatnot um and obviously we can go to like a psychotherapist like you and talk about those unconscious layers yeah but for people that can't maybe because of money or time how can they deal with this stuff because this isn't like a band-aid sli- solution where you can no. just go for a run but this is like really critical sort of self-reflection about what's happening in your life. Yeah, Do you have any practical sort of exercises yeah. which people could do at home to sort of reflect mm. on their habits and their subconscious
0: yeah. layers yeah. that are behind their In personality. In extension to that, um, just after you answer yeah. Adam's question, yeah. um, I also want to know, when is it? when are you going too deep? Like, when is there some, a point when you're just look, looking for something that isn't there to try and explain how you're feeling?
2: <laughs> I'm going to answer that first and <laughs> then, then come to you. Um, I think that when you... It depends on how and who is doing the, the thinking, the deep yeah. thinking, right? Because that, you know, that saying, analysis paralysis. Because,
0: uh, like, for my, like, I can imagine someone with anxiety, if they're trying to look for things in their past life, yep. could that lead to a spiral or something like that?
2: Um, it depends. Like, if someone's sitting, say, with me, and I know you've said if they can't, so we'll, we'll talk about what should they do. But yeah. if, they're, if they're sitting with someone that's quite trained in the unconscious, like someone that understands Jung and, and Freud, that I can hear a story and I go, right, okay, I earmark different scenarios that have happened. Yeah. And, I, and I go, right, do you remember when this happened? How did you feel? And they're like, they get sort of a, a look on their face because they haven't ever made that. Connection to shit, how I feel today is somehow connected to that. Because yeah. all we're doing is reliving, like anytime I'm working with a, a leader who's got a team, so they've got a team of eight people that they're, they're managing, whatever they felt inside of their family, I will a thousand percent that they will feel it inside of their, their team. Wow. Right? So all you're doing is your psyche is projecting it from the past to here, it just can't tell the difference. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So is there a place where you can delve too deep? I think that. Yes, if you're not getting the right help to actually keep moving you forward, because yeah. there's no point being in analysis and going to a therapist if they're not helping you live a healthier life right now. Mm. If they're yeah. just helping you sort of spill everything out and become dependent on them and the use of therapy, mm. um, then and you're not your life's not changing. So yeah. how you do life isn't changing. Yeah. Then then it's like, mm, what's the point of that? Because my thing is, I don't want you to be dependent on me. I want you not have to think of me about me for a while. <laughs> you know, like mm. to actually and go I out think, and have
0: I to think lie. it's worth mentioning that all these things. your past don't always have to be negative right they don't always have to affect you negatively yeah and the
2: thing is it's not even about it being like i didn't have a major trauma in my life but when you're little you make interpretations along the way yeah and our brain being programmed to go more towards the negative all of a sudden you can be someone who's very much loved maybe loved how your parents loved but you needed to hear one other thing and you heard and you didn't and all of a sudden you think i'm not good enough
1: yeah so it can often the feeling can be more important than the actual action because of how we interpret it. Absolutely. Interesting. Absolutely. Because it's not,
2: this is my biggest thing, it's not what happens, it's how what happens is dealt with.
1: That's fascinating. Right? Mm. So like when people
2: go, my parents got divorced. Wow. Yeah, that's a common thing. So parents shouldn't feel guilty about divorcing. How it's dealt with. How, and most people deal with logistics, they don't deal with the emotional stuff because it takes a bit more work. What do you
1: mean by logistics then?
2: Well, like, you know, who gets the house, who gets the kids, oh, yeah, when yeah, do we do sure. this, when do we mm. do that, versus mm. what's going on for the kids? And you'll get into, oh, I feel like, and they'll often feel whatever they're feeling, and it can feel intolerable for the parents mm. because they're like, shit, I've got my own stuff to deal with. I'm trying to work out do I have a house, do I have a job, do I have, yeah. Yeah, how do I get to see my kids, mm. versus what's my kid feeling?
0: Yeah. Mm. I can can see in Adam's eyes that you're doing a lot of reflection, connecting, and I'm doing it as well. Like I'm like, shit, I need to go away and think and write (laughs) about my life right now. let's, Let's answer your
2: question. Your question to me was, rather than going into psychotherapy, and look, it's like with every profession. It's like a web designer, right? There's good web designers and there's really crappy ones, correct? Yeah. Like there's, with everything, there's good lawyers and there's ones that are a bit below par. Professionals in the psychology, psychotherapy space are the same, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that sometimes we do too much analysis. If you're not even thinking about therapy and you wanna be doing something at home, I mean, I'll say to my client, I want you to just start by paying attention to how you feel. And they're like, what do you mean by that? Right, so at night, just write a journal, but not this happened, this happened. Right. Like, so today I went to uni and, you know, got to see my mates. It was awesome. Like, that's useless. Right. So when, for example, when I got my mark back and I got, you know, a pass versus my usual thing, which is to get a distinction, I thought, shit, I'm a loser. I'm this, I'm that. Start to see the dialogue. Right. Okay, that's one thing. Right. Pay attention. Now, you might see in a because what you're looking for is patterns. Right, So if you start to just daily just go, I'm just going to debrief, debrief with myself, but not be superficial. I'm just going to delve a bit deeper. How did it really feel when my girlfriend said she doesn't want to see me? Or how did it feel when my buddy said he didn't want to come to my party because? You know, like things like that where you just go, what does that mean? Like Mm. internally, because what you're going is, huh, I noticed that when I feel really disappointed, I want to go and have a beer straight away. Yeah. You're just like, shit, I never made that connection. It's like
0: culturally yeah. accepted as well in Australia. Sure Absolutely.
2: Or oh, I pick up my phone. That's the big... I want you to notice how quickly you pick up your phone. I notice mm. that a lot. Right? Like, mm. I've got clients that they are like, oh, my God, Yvonne, I ended up spending like two hours when all I wanted was five minutes. I'm like, great, let's mm. reverse engineer this. So reverse engineer what's going on. When you, Before you did that, what was going on? And it could be like, I needed to put together a proposal for this, and, and then I felt afraid. I felt this, and I didn't want to do it, so I...
0: I can actually speak yeah. to that because yeah. I went through a stage about a month where I was mapping how many like how much time I was spending on my phone, and there was a direct correlation between how happy my day was and how little time I'd spend on my phone. And I think mm-hmm. that was more of a causation thing than a
1: yeah. Wait, so you're saying that um, when you're unhappy, you'd spend more time on your phone, <coughs> or spending more time on your phone will lead to the unhappiness? Or both. It both? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. You, end up, you end up using mm. it more when you're like yeah. when you're not feeling connected, you will end up needing to use it more. Yeah. Mm. Right. That's so, so that's like a simple way, like yeah. literally just paying more attention and people are like, oh, I hate journaling. And usually you hate journaling. And people think it's like a dear diary. It's not that it's actually like, let me just observe myself. Because mm. especially in the entrepreneur space, they're like taught, you know, what you I want you to write down three things, three ways you want your day to be awesome today, mm. three things you can do brilliantly, three things. And it's like, yes, and three. And then at night you do, how could this day have been better? Right? Yeah. Versus, let me notice my patterns.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, let
2: me notice what I'm doing. Like, one of my things is if I'm super stressed, I notice I get really busy doing things. You yeah. know, like, so I will amp up. I'll be like, oh, I've really got to go get those groceries, got to do the groceries, got to do that, got to do everything that's been on the back burner that doesn't really matter becomes like so important. I want to add mm. to that,
0: like, it can be quite confronting though at first when you start thinking about how you're feeling all the time. Yeah. I had this experience on exchange where every mm-hmm. moment I was assessing how I was feeling and it got a bit too much actually yeah. after a while because I was like, fuck, mm-hmm. I want to be productive the time, I need like yeah. think about how I'm feeling. I also, like, came with like this yeah.
1: obsession of like yeah. optimization, which like a lot of entrepreneurs have oh, that like absolutely. wanting to always be productive. But then there's a the net very negative side because you're overthinking everything, yeah. and you don't get into like a sort of yeah. flow with your day. Yeah. yeah, like I
2: almost weekly have to like I chunk out a time where it's like literally there's nothing booked in and I get to do something and it could be like I'm taking a chunk out of my business day to go and do like a movie or go for a swim mm. or whatever it is. Yeah. But I do that because that's when I get to really decompress and usually the best stuff happens then versus yeah. I've got to compact everything in this week and really mm. like because that's the do, do, do and you don't ever let yourself integrate. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So
0: I'm going to ask you yep. we've Let's had this discussion it. and I think anyone that's watched go back get out a notepad because <laughs> I, I yeah. keep coming back to what you said. It's not what happened; it's how you react to it. I think yeah. that's yeah, incredibly it's it's powerful. With. It yeah.
2: is how it is dealt with, guys. So it's really important yeah. because it's like, um, you know, one th- and that 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 notion. If you can just go right, it's not like. I can be heartbroken about something, but then it's how it's dealt with. What do I do with yeah. all of that disappointment? Yeah. What do I do with all that? Like, you know, you can start a business and it can fail. And it's like, what do I do with all of that? Because if I sit and go, my identity and who I am is based on the outcome of that business, then I'm screwed. I'm, and, I'm not, and when
0: you, once you have these realisations and stuff, what yeah. do you do with them?
2: Yeah. Um, look, this is where I do think someone who, who can really... First of all, someone who can help you to actually know how to shift patterns and how to name something. You know, I i mean, I'm well versed at it because most of the people who are high performers are also like, you know, they're high achievers. They're in there and they wanna yep. know like, so what do I do with that? And when you start realizing that if you can change how you relate to other people and relate to yourself, then life gets easier. Because yeah. all the I've had so many people go, you know, on business is easy, but people are hard for me. Like doing relationships is yeah. hard. You know, how do I get to be more of me? And it's like, well, when you start to understand yourself and then shift, because we usually do what feels familiar, not what's best for us. Yeah, <laughs> we do what's familiar, not what's best for us. Yeah, and so you can know that you've got to make a phone call. To Tell someone something disappointing, but yeah. you take the road of avoidance yeah. because that's what you're familiar with. Yeah. So we we tend to we need whether we need some kind of and and I, I you know, I do think it's helpful to have someone with you along yeah. the journey, um, but you can also use buddies that that when you're like the two of you, for example, uh, are people who are reflective, who are like you're sort of open and you're trying to work the world out. Yeah, um, that. If you both know that about one another, you go, "Hey, buddy, have you ever noticed that?" Mm. Mm. And you have a conversation, and and the premise of it has to be that I want to have this in you know, a curious manner without it feeling like I'm shaming you without it yeah, feeling yeah. like I'm saying you're, you know, you're not a good friend or you're a mm. crazy person or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and then go, hey, I tried something different today. Yeah. Mm. You know? So you do have to try other things, yeah. but in terms of how you relate to people. So when you really don't want to talk to someone, right? Like in, as in I'm having a really hard time, I'm in my head, I'm really depressed I'm, and I really don't want to talk to anyone about it is the very time you should talk to someone. Yeah. When you really don't want to, it's when you need to. Yeah. And I'm talking about when you're needing to reach out to someone. Yeah. Right. Not like most people go, oh, when you don't want to go to the gym, then you really need to go. Like mm. those practical yeah. things. I'm talking about when we're... Because we're talk- when we're talking about today, it's mental well-being and mental health. Yeah. Is about how do I get connection and support when I need, need it the most, but I can't get past my head and my thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's what we want to get people to reach out more when they need to rather than be consumed by shame. Mm.
0: Well, All right, so <laughs> I'm going to ask you those quick fire questions let's just for go. people that are watching. Please. Summary, let's maybe just say like yep. under two minutes or something let's go. per one. So, okay, go. So, we've <laughs> talked about the causes of mental health and yep. what can, if you're facing a mental health difficulty and you think that look, this may be rooted in my past, I've done some reflection, and I've realized that actually these depressive and anxiety symptoms that I'm feeling aren't normal, what do you do?
2: Yeah. Um, This is under two minutes. Um, So depending on how severe they are, like there's times where you do need to see a GP, but I would say um, that less people need to do that than they actually do, because in terms of um, medication is one approach, Uh, speaking to someone like someone that you trust and that you know is not going to shame you that you know is going to be supportive first port of call would be for me you know I did that with my counsellor and she was someone that had qualifications but at the time I couldn't think of teachers I couldn't think of anyone I felt okay to and so picking one person and and some people have that in friends in parents in whoever but to say my thinking's not too good at the moment I, I need some help and it could be even you know like listening to a podcast that changes things for you but reaching out to someone is probably my top
0: okay, top mm. thing
2: um, and if you have yeah. then
0: reached out to someone yeah. um, and they look, you discuss your issue I think in our generation a lot of people do do that now because yeah. it's becoming more okay which is amazing yeah. but then where to from there? Yeah,
2: where to from there? Um, I mean If you see this as, okay, personal, people think in personal development terms, you know, like so if you think my journey of personal development is about really helping me feel calm on the inside, so that I can rock the world, yeah. you know, like versus people want to rock the world <laughs> and then they go, shit, now I don't feel calm on the yeah. inside. Um, so what you want to do is not see it as a I'm just going to do this because it gets me out of this. Like so the band aid solution, too many people want a band aid solution. And even some professionals and coaches who want to hype you up, get you going, change your state, do your thing, um, add to making it difficult, yeah. right? So if you can, like I, you know, I have been struggled with mental health stuff, but I don't ever see my personal development as ever, yeah. you know, ending because I'm all, I love Jung, I'll jump on and read the journal about yeah. his stuff or whatever. Mm. It's like learning, but then in t- the biggest thing is, don't go on a learning binge. What <laughs> skills, What whatever, like, you know, what's the yeah. next hack? What did this entrepreneur, what did this person, high profile person do? it's one not everything is going to work for every person find your thing yeah mm-hmm. you know um, but don't see it as a short term you know solution that's okay. what i'd say cool
0: yeah. um and so now from the perspective of someone else let's say your friend reaches out to you and says look mm-hmm. they're dealing with something you met you've um tied in a lot of things about this yeah. so far but what 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 how should you approach that conversation
2: yeah um with a very curious mind okay. uh, and I, when i say that is if you can prioritize Curiosity above judgment and above needing to get them better.
0: So it seems Mm. like it's about asking the right questions, but also not being like, how do you feel? Like, how did you feel? And they say, oh, this happened. It's like, why did that make you feel that way? Mm. I remember Mm. you mentioned that before. Well,
2: just getting them to say, tell me about what's going on. Yeah.
0: Mm.
1: Right?
2: Open. It's not like, oh, shit, I know what you
1: should do. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> right? So it seems like it's about listening rather than just straight away strategizing. Yeah. Mm.
2: yeah. Because, I mean, I've even had conversations where I think about, like, what someone's saying to me, if it's a friend, and then I'll say, I was thinking about more about what you said to me. So you don't have to have... People think, shoot, I've got to have all the answers, and you don't. Yeah. You have to have connection. Yeah. Because if that person mm. feels that you've heard them and you've not judged them... Yeah. Right? And you uh, you leave it open by saying... Mm-hmm. I want you to know that you can speak to me whenever you need to. Yeah. And even if I'm not available when you, like, because some people, when you're in the mental distress, right, you want to message someone and say, can you speak to me now? And if you're not available, Mm -hmm. because you're going to feel like, shit, I've got to be there for this person. Yeah. Particularly with what's happened in in your friend circle. I think... Knowing that even if I don't respond to that message straight away, I need you to wait a few hours until I get back to you. Yeah. Right? And that's I always say that to people it's like, I'm human, yeah. I have a life, I'm in lectures, I'm in I'm with clients, I'm yeah. doing stuff. If I don't respond straight away, I just want you, rather than never talk to me again or never reach out again. Yeah message me again and say, Hey, did you get my message? I really want to speak. Yeah. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's a two way thing where you get to actually be open and say, it's not fully your responsibility to manage that person's mental well being what my responsibility with you is that you know we're open and we're honest and i can depend on a friend yeah and um but also that you just go look i don't know the answer to this man like maybe we need to go speak to or you know get some help or like have you thought about it and not going you need to do this but what have you thought of yeah just uh, so you're asking open-ended questions like tell me what you've done before like has this happened before and they could say yeah, man, like my parents divorced back in, you know, when I was 11 and I was like, I was on medication, I wasn't dealing well and you just go, okay, what happened, what worked then? Yeah. So you're not even, you don't need answers. That's yeah. the thing is like most people we panic because we're like, I want to be a good friend, I want to make sure that person's okay and it's important. And then but, it feels
0: better for you because you know they're okay, right?
2: Yeah, and that's what most people want to alleviate, their own distress. But it's like, if you take, take the pressure off yourself, it's like you don't have to have all the answers. Even me as a therapist, I never think... I have all the answers for someone because that's a miss. Like, yeah. you know, that's just like a person walks in. I'm like, right, new person, yeah. new experiences. I know some things that are, you know, global, but yeah. this is the person sitting in front of me and I've got to connect to them and see yeah. what they need. And and you've got to think the same way. Like what you would say to one person in one situation is not going to work globally for yeah. everyone.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. I think we've already touched on this a bit. So yeah. maybe a quick answer. These are actually things people have asked me to mention. Yeah, cool. And Go we've covered it. most of them, but... Um, the pros and cons of medication. Because I mentioned that probably a lot of people our age are are on these sort of medications. So quickly, if we can touch on the pros and cons.
2: Very quickly, um, I think that medications, and this is, of course, personal, but medications are needed at some points to help you stabilise. But what they do for me, and this is my personal experience, is open up the opportunity to then develop the skills that you need to not have a mental health problem in the first place. Right, so no no, 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 I used to say this to my clients in, in our eating disorder clinic, there's no tablet that you can be given that is going to stop you being a people pleaser. Yeah. Get it? Yeah. Right? So it's the people pleasing behaviours where if you can't hold a boundary and say, no, sorry, I can't, and feel okay with disappointing mm-hmm. people, yeah. um, it doesn't matter how many times you take an anxiety or a dep- like mm. a, a pill for that, okay. if you don't ever stop that behaviour, which then leads to the, I feel guilty yeah. and shit about myself... Um, that's not ever going to change. Yeah. So the medication, see it as a tool
1: yeah. for yeah. stability. Okay, so right? it's like a short-term solution so it can help you create a long-term one. Yeah. Can but that has to be down to you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Can
0: all depression, all anxiety, even the most severe forms, be remedied or mitigated mm-hmm. by these strategies that we mentioned before? Or um, is there some cases where you absolutely need medication? There's no mu- no matter how much introspection you do, how much... Oh. Uh, well un- unconscious you do.
2: Yeah, look I think that it's very much a personal um it's very much an individual approach. Yeah. I would not ever say that there's never a case when yeah. um, I, I don't think you can. And I yeah. don't think that anyone who does I'm I'm not extremes with any of it. Yeah. Um but I do think that with um it's again learning to because learning to tolerate feelings but also sometimes there's something that's happened that really needs processing. Yeah. Right? Like, so if you've had the experience of and and I use it as a basic because it's, you know, someone divorcing, parents divorcing yeah. or, you know, losing someone in a car accident. Yeah. It's like, you need to process those feelings and it doesn't matter what medication yeah. you take, right? If you're talking about heartbreak and you're talking about sadness and grief, that has to be processed, however yeah. however, that's chosen to be done. So the medication is a tool that assists, Yeah. right? Um, because like me, when I, had, uh, when I was suicidal and then the medication really stabilised me. Like, yeah. it took me from having those really deep um, really deep, dark, destructive thoughts to sort of a little bit higher, but then I needed to do work. Yeah. There was no changing that. There was, you know, there wasn't anything that yeah. was going to stop that.
0: And this is a kind of a tangent question. Yeah, but someone cool. asks this, how much of our mental health can we actually control?
2: Uh-huh. Um, I think a very high percentage. Okay. I think a very, very high percentage, and I, I'm not going to say. Um, but obviously, for 100%, some people, it's a lot harder than others, yeah, right? I, I think that depending on what your start in life was, because yeah. there's people that come to me that have had very, very traumatic early upbringings, and yep. it's harder for them to collect themselves emotionally and to collect their mental well-being, and it takes a lot of skill. Like that's where it's like going to a friend. And a lot of <laughs> hard work. Right? Yeah. It, well, it take it, it takes persistence, mm-hmm. right? And turning up when you really don't want to, and all of those things. Um, and having someone who's skilled at the unconscious and going how when those early traumas happened, what what is that about and how they made sense of it. Yeah. But in terms of like, I'm struggling with anxiety, I think more what people are talking about now, anxiety and depression, I'm like, I'm not dealing well with being around people. I'm not really good with sharing my emotions. That stuff is, is a lot of teachable skills. So, you know, when I was running my clinic and we had a thing called life skills and we just took people through life skills and they're like, why aren't we taught this in school? Like, even being mm-hmm. assertive, just communication yeah. styles. Yeah. Right? Communication styles, because most of us tend to be passive. Yeah. Like, um, are uh, like, mm, I don't know, like, what do you think? And, you know, yeah. versus, you know, when this happens, I feel really frustrated. Like, uh, communication style is a big one. So I think a, a high percentage of us can can and this is i want people not to hear that as if you've got depression it's your fault right so a lot of people go it's my fault because i just can't change this and that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is when you do have anxiety or when you do have depression um they are indicators that there's a skill set you can develop yeah yeah right so
1: do you ever find that sometimes people don't actually have depression or anxiety but they just haven't learn or develop the necessary mm. life skills. Mm. Like some people maybe self diagnose something's been really extreme. Yeah. Yep. Then maybe it's something like I just can't talk to people as well as I should be able yeah. to. So they mitigate that and say it's like anxiety. it's anxiety. Yeah. Absolutely. Like mm.
2: that one I find very common particularly yeah. particularly like high achievers who have anxiety. You know, like they're just like they're great with numbers, great with like looking at things rationally and logically, yeah. but when we're talking about what they deem soft skills, which I don't think they're soft skills, to have empathy and to be vulnerable, like they're mm-hmm. not soft, they're actually like they're, they're quite exposing for a lot of people, they're not easy to do, but People go, oh, I have anxiety. It's very common for it to see people say, I manage my anxiety with not taking I exercise, I don't have caffeine and I take, you know, some rescue remedies and I chill myself yeah. out like that. Um, and that's not dealing with the underlying thing, which a lot of it comes down to. I feel like I'm a people pleaser. I can't say no to people. I want to really want to be liked, but they don't articulate it that way. It's yeah. just sort of embedded in who they are. Mm. You know, they're really sweet and lovely, but they can't tolerate, like I always say to my clients, I don't need you to like me, I want you to feel better. And sometimes I'm going to say things that are confronting. Yeah, and, You know, so you don't want to go to a therapist that wants to be liked. You want, yeah. you want to be working with someone who says, you know, I can see this pattern in you and let's work on that. And it's, yeah. and I, I mean, I've had to learn to tolerate really tough things, you know, and go through my own processes so I can tolerate other people. Yeah. Right. So the best thing you guys can do for yourselves is learn to be okay with the messiness of life.
0: Yeah. Then you can Mm. deal with
2: other people's messiness. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like when you always want things to be right and perfect, it's really hard. It's just an unconscious power, uh, you know, like uh, pressure you put on yourself and friends that it's like, shit, I can't talk to that person because they're like, they want everything, you know, perfect Mm. and, and, you know, a certain way versus I'm okay with you bringing your mess to me. Yeah. Mm.
0: And in terms of things like gut health, exercise, um, all those kind of habits that have been linked to mental health, Um, there's a lot of stuff coming out about inflammation the gut and mental health. Where do do we just draw the line between, oh, maybe the diet I'm eating is causing this versus maybe it's something that happened a long time ago?
2: Yeah. Again, I don't think there's one blanket answer because people will go, well, was it the inflammation that caused the mental health issue or is it the mental health issue that caused the inflammation? Yeah. And if you think about back to what I said is we're sort of not, there's very few people that are born with a mental health Issue. Yeah. Right. It's caused by all the environmentals and how we develop. Some people are very few percentages are. Yeah. Right. So um, I think that it's it's if you're trying to look at because a lot of people go, oh no, I dealt with my mental health issue with my anxiety because of a gut issue. I can pretty much assure you that that person will then center their anxiety around avoiding all the foods that help with the gut issue. so then all the focus gets to be on that Mm. and so it's still you you can use all of those things as tools, I I never go, oh you shouldn't do that, but you need to do that plus the person, like learning how do I relate to people that led Mm. to the issue in the first place, so it's never one or the other, it's like right, Mm. if I've got inflammation, it may very well be about that, because this is, I see very consistently very well be about Oh, I'm someone who doesn't know how to deal with, you know, anger or doesn't know how to deal with frustration or doesn't know how to talk about that. Mm. Like, so if I'm constantly, you know, building up resentment, then my body's going to be inflamed. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's that thing of um, what are the, what, the patterns in how I relate to people yeah. that then lead to the pains in my body? You know, like you know, one of my favorite uh, psychotherapists. Her name's Alice Miller, and she's written a book called *The Body Never Lies*. And it's like, if you, it's it's about the the body stores information. Yeah. Um. So I think that a lot of mind and um like health issues come from the the way we relate, how we've learned to relate. Wow. Yeah.
0: Okay, so uh, we we could go forever (laughs) with this, but um, if there's one thing you want to leave our audience with, something that um kind of summarizes what you believe in, what you think, what would that be?
2: Yeah. Wherever you are now, if you're struggling with a mental health challenge or you're a bit shaky, that is not your final destination. That's my biggest thing is that you don't have to live with this forever and I think that was an early thing that I didn't know and it really pained me that I thought that was what I had to live with. Yeah. Um, that there's definitely skills that you can develop that will get you to actually feel calm. I always talk about a quiet mind. Imagine a quiet mind and people go, ooh, like that sounds can you do that and yes you can so I would, that would be that my biggest thing is that mental health is not something to it's not don't park yourself in that destination you know like think of it as information that I can start to shift some things look after myself a little better relate to people differently so yeah. that, that's my biggest takeaways I don't see mental like people like we have a mental health epidemic and we have an epidemic of people that don't know how to Relate to themselves and other people, mm. lack of connections. Also. Yeah, it's yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All <laughs> right, that was amazing. Yeah. Um, Thanks, guys. That was
0: episode three of season two with yeah, Devon. Yeah. <laughs>